Good morning, everyone. You know, as you get older, springing forward gets harder. Springing any direction really gets harder as you get older. I couldn't help but think in uh, that op- uh, the closing song there that we were uh, singing and, and how that, it, you know, it's so difficult uh, for some of us older Christians to clap, you know, to do that. And, and our young people do that and do it so, uh, so uh, effortlessly. And that's just great. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and others lift their arms up. And uh, I kind of made myself uh, a promise uh, a while back that all I was going to do, and I'm on the back row, so I can do that and nobody notices, see. So I, but uh, I made myself the promise that uh, any time in the song, in the praise song that we're singing, that it mentions lifting your arms, that I, I promised myself I was going to do that. And uh, it's just incredible how ridiculously difficult something like that becomes when you haven't done it. And, you know, you, you, you know so you just start off with a little alligator arm, and, and then, then you gradually, you know, hopefully can work up to, to a full arm, you know. And the thought of putting two arms up just, that's over the top. So uh, it, it's just it's just interesting the different ways that uh, we have grown up and, and how we worship God. Well, I appreciate the opportunity today to fill in for Doug uh, during spring break. And I know this is a special spring break for them with uh, Drew and Allie graduating this year. They, they're going to be having one that uh, won't be the same quite the same next year, and I know there's others here that have seniors as well, and that's the case for, going to be the case for you too. I have uh, two grandsons that are graduating uh, this year, one in Maybank and one in Allen, and uh, it's an exciting time for the kids. It's kind of a, a sad time sometimes for, for the parents. It's a time of transition, but I, I certainly would ask for all of us to certainly be praying for our, our kids for their senior year because that is a is a, a challenging year it's a rewarding year but it's also a year in which there can be there can be concerns and especially during spring break just praying for the the safety for for all of them well, Doug had asked me to continue uh, in the series that he started last week that was focusing on the cross leading up to uh, the celebration of Easter uh, he titled the uh, series, Like Jesus, focusing on how the cross invites us to be like Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 9 and verses 25 through 37. That's John's story about what was really the last few minutes of Jesus' life on the cross. Uh, you know, if you were... If there was a catastrophic event that happened somewhere near your home and you really wanted to know what happened and the details of it, uh, who, would you, who would you look for? Who, who would you try to talk to? Well, you'd, you'd obviously want to talk to somebody that was uh, an eyewitness, somebody that had seen what happened, you know, and preferably an eyewitness that was up close. Well, 
when we're talking about the crucifixion, John is exactly that man. Because John, for whatever reason, was the only one of the original 12 disciples that was there with Jesus throughout the whole crucifixion experience and was with Jesus standing at the foot of the cross. So he was able to see exactly what was going on. He stood there, as he tells in the verses we'll read, with Mary, the mother, uh, Jesus' mother, and with Mary's aunt, and then Mary Magdalene. Now, we know that John had a, a special relationship uh, with Jesus. Uh, we, know, we know that not just because he had this curious way throughout his Gospels that he would uh, refer to himself in the third party as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He mentions that several times. And it's not just from that, but we know by John being the one that Jesus asked to care for his mother, that certainly the relationship was there that was somewhat unique between John and Jesus. John was also the last one that Jesus spoke to on the cross before he died. Also, if you look at the book of Revelation, you realize that John is the one that Jesus selected to reveal himself to and tell the story of his second coming in the Revelation. John was the one that he chose for that. The last red letter words that Jesus spoke in Revelation chapter 22 uh, were written uh, and those words were spoken to John. So as we read the verses that we're going to be going through today, I want to put them in, in uh, a little bit of the context and also the time in which they were written because I think it's, it speaks to what, what, we will, uh, what we'll see as we read them. Most Bible scholars believe that uh, the book of John was written between 85 and 95 A.D., John wrote the things that he wrote about the crucifixion and the verses we read almost 50 years, 50 years after the crucifixion. John really at that time was an old man and most scholars agree that the other 11 disciples were probably already dead. So he, he is giving this story that we're going to be reading as one of the last remaining eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus on the cross. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, too, in setting the context for this is at the time John wrote this, there was heresy, a form of Gnosticism that was creeping into the church that was having a, a dramatic impact. So keep that in mind as we read what we do in these verses because there was a there was a form of Gnosticism uh, that was called Docetism D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M it, it, Docetism taught that Jesus only appeared to have a body he only appeared to have a body and was not truly incarnate Docetism viewed matter as being inherently evil, rejecting the idea that God could actually appear 
and bodily form. And by denying Jesus truly had a body, they also denied that he suffered on the cross and he rose from the dead. So keep that in mind as we look at these verses uh, that we'll be reading. Uh, because it was during that time that, that, that John wrote these things that were, that were seriously impacting the church. So we'll start reading in uh, John chapter 19 and verse 25 and 30, uh, through 37. And hopefully we'll have an overhead. This is the closest I get to the 20th century here. We're going to actually have an overhead. Now, I'm going to read it off this, but hopefully you can, can see it uh, from there. But verse 25 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken, and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came, broke the legs of the first man who they had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that his legs, that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing out a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on one they have pierced. Now, these verses, there's just any number of stories that are stories of the cross that can be taken uh, in reading these verses. But I want to I look at and focus on uh, two things in the context of what we talked about that the church was going through regarding this docetism and the impact of people believing that Jesus was not truly man, that he, 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 he did not have a human body. So today I want to talk about and emphasize what we read in these verses that speak to the humanity of Jesus. And then I want to look at the verses that speak to the deity of Jesus. Jesus being fully man and fully God. What, what is, we sometimes refer to as being incarnate. Incarnate. Fully man and fully God. So let's look back just as, as a review of those verses. And, and, and look to what. John speaks of that, that would be sending the message or telling or making clear as an eyewitness 
that Jesus was fully man. Verse 25, he starts with, what would any man have? A mother. And he starts with, in verse 25, talking that Jesus had a mother. Jesus had an aunt. And his aunt was there. Uh, Mary, the, the uh, wife of Clopas. So he speaks to Jesus having a mother. He also, verse 26, he speaks to Jesus was a son, a loving son, that in the agony that he was going through, he still took the time to speak about the caring of his mother. Then in verse 27, John is saying as if, I knew Jesus' mother. I not only knew Jesus' mother, John asked me to take care of his mother. I took care of his mother till, in all, uh, all thought you would think probably till she died. So, so he's relating all of these things as an eyewitness, confirming that Jesus was a man. Jesus suffered, verse 28, after I'm sure the torture and the beating, I'm sure he was uh, incredibly dehydrated. He said, I am thirsty. And then the last thing, that he had to drink was wine vinegar that he sucked from a sponge. And then the final thing that, that John speaks to so graphically uh, about Jesus being fully man, he says this in verse 34, that when Jesus was pierced in the side, it brought out a sudden flow of blood and water. And then right on the heels of him saying that, he says, I saw these things. I saw, in essence, the blood and the water come out of him. And then he says, I'm telling you the truth. He said, so that you may believe. So he's trying to tell them, I saw all of this. I saw Jesus, the man, suffer and die. I saw his mother. I talked to his mother. His mother came and lived with me. So these are some of the things that you pick up in this, these verses that speak to Jesus being fully man. Now let's look at the deity of Jesus. Jesus being fully God. John wanted as an eyewitness to know that all the things that Jesus suffered on the cross, that those things were fulfilled in what was written. So we'll just, I, I won't, uh, I'll just give you these verses. I won't read all of them. But verse 28, he states that Jesus said, I am thirsty. The Old Testament writing about that is in Psalm 22 and verse 15. In verse 29, it talks about the wine vinegar. You can see that in Psalm 69 and verse 21. And another thing that John mentions here that is, I don't think is in the other Gospels is he, he mentions also in verse 29 that the, the stalk or, or that was used to lift the sponge to Jesus' lips, what does he say that is? It's a hyssop stalk. He used a hyssop stalk to lift the sponge to Jesus' lips. If you look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 22, you know that it was the hyssop plant 
that the blood was dipped in and put over the doorpost at the Passover. So all these things, he's telling a story of Jesus the Messiah, and he's tying it in all to all of these prophecies. Verse 33, they did not break, <clears throat> they did not break his legs. We see a reference of that in Psalm 34 and verse 20. And we also see in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, when they talked about the preparation and the care for the Passover lamb, one of the things they specified about the Passover lamb is that not one of the bones was to be broken. And then verse 34, pierced his side with a spear, and we read about that in Zechariah 12 and verse 10. So these verses confirm that what John saw that day as an eyewitness, that these were just things that were a fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. And as John grew older, he saw more and more of the story of the cross in the written word. The longer he lived, the more he connected the dots. Now, can you imagine John's story and what it would have been if he'd written these verses the next day after the crucifixion? What would these verses have sounded like then? What, was his, what would his story have sounded like then? The, none of the details of what he saw that day would have matched up with anything he saw in Scripture. His Messiah was never to die. So the things over the years that John was able to see and understand after 50 years, so incredibly different as he grew older, and, you know, for some people, they, they seem to have a difficult time sometimes when they read some of these verses in the Psalms <clears throat> or some of these verses in the Old Testament and saying, you know, that's really a stretch. That's really a stretch to get a story of Jesus on the cross out of some of those verses. And, and, and some say that. Some are to the point that they actually refuse to accept it. Well, what would you think about an Old Testament story about snakes and somehow tying snakes in to the story on the cross? Now, would that be a stretch? Would that be a stretch to, to, uh, to, to liken a snake somehow to symbolizing Jesus on a cross? That would be a stretch. Well, you probably know, some of you, that that stretch was made by Jesus. Uh, and before we read what Jesus had to say about it, I want to just go back and I'll, I'll give you the, the Cliff's notes on, on the story of the snakes. It's in Numbers 21, 5 through 8. And it's kind of a repeat deal of the Israelites and them going through and, and, and reaching this point that they just were complaining about everything and saying basically to, to, to God and to Moses, this manna that you're giving us is, is stinks and we don't, you know, we'd rather go back to Egypt. Uh, and, and, and God does a, a pretty shocking thing. He sends venomous snakes into the camp of Israel. And the story says many, many died. 
And they, they come running back to Moses, begging to talk to God so they can be saved from these snakes that were killing them just left and right. <clears throat> and what God told Moses to do, he said, uh, make a bronze snake. Make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And when the Israelites come to you that have been bitten by that snake, by those snakes, uh, and you raise that pole up, then when, when they come, they'll be saved. They'll be saved by coming and looking at that bronze snake on a pole. Well, if you look in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Now, how could you miss that stretch story? It's right before John 3.16, the most quoted scripture in the Bible. And yet that's the story that Jesus had, likening that story and saying what happened then was a, fork, was, a, was a prophecy of what I am fulfilling now. And we know that Jesus didn't stop there. Uh, and uh, it was interesting that uh, uh, Stuart uh, referred to this story in, in his uh, communion thoughts. And I thought, oh, no, there goes one of my verses. But he was reading a different part of that, emphasizing a different thing. Because what I want to look at in that is Jesus didn't only make that, that comparison and that telling that prophecy to Nicodemus that after Jesus was resurrected and he was on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, uh, I want to look that at verses 26 and 27. Because Jesus said, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, and do you think maybe that beginning with Moses might have been Genesis 3.15? You know, the first time the story of the cross was told in the Old Testament was in the Garden of Eden. And it was God talking to Satan and telling him the time is coming when one is going to come that will crush your head. And that happened. That is part of the work that was finished on the cross. So he says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, wouldn't you have liked to have been able to hear those words? Wouldn't you have liked to see how Jesus connected the dots to have the incarnate word explaining the written word so I want to conclude this with looking at what the title that we gave the sermon today was the words that uh, that Jesus spoke in John chapter 19 and, the, and what we read in verse 30 it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
it is finished. What, what does he mean by that? He, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What was it that was finished? I want to, I want to read a commentary uh, that I had shared a few months back uh, in communion uh, on this phrase. Uh, it is finished. This is not the despairing cry of a helpless martyr. It is not an expression of satisfaction that the termination of his suffering was now reached. It was not the last gasp of a worn-out life. No, and this is what I think is so great, it was the declaration on the part of a divine redeemer that all for which he came from heaven to earth to do was now done. And all that was needed to reveal the full character of God had now been accomplished. That all that was required by the law before sinners could be saved had now been performed. That the full price of redemption was paid. That's what Jesus finished on the cross. That's what he meant when he said, it is finished. Doug uh, made a comment in his sermon uh, last week that that was uh, that I've been was thinking about as as uh, I was thinking about this sermon and reading this as well, and, and they really resonated with me because the uh, the fact that I, I grew up in a very uh, I think what you could call a legalistic church environment. Um, he made this comment after reading what Paul had written in Romans 5 about Adam and Christ. And this was the comment he made. He said, sometimes we fully accept what we receive from Adam, but we do not accept what we receive from Jesus. You know, I, I want to read that again. And by the way, this is something he said he didn't have in his notes when he was speaking, but it, it just resonated so much. Sometimes we fully accept what we receive from Adam, but we do not accept what we receive from Jesus. And I told Doug when uh, he, he was reading Romans 5 last week, I, I couldn't help but notice how many times Paul used through that, what he was reading, how he used the word gift. When he talked about what we received from Jesus, he used gift over and over when he talked about what we received from Jesus. And, and I just ask this, why is it so hard for us to truly accept what Jesus finished on the cross? And I, I thought of this question, and I hope it's, it's not confusing. As a Christian, when someone asks us, when were you saved? Or when were your sins forgiven? Does our answer start with the words, when I? Or do they start with the words, when he? When he? You know, if we make the gifts 
that God gives us by the work of Jesus finished on the cross, if we make those gifts conditional, we're going to always see God's love for us the same way as conditional. I just think it's an absolute formula, and I say that because I've lived that out so much of my life. The conditional love of God instead of the unconditional love of God because we don't accept the gifts that were freely given of what Jesus finished on the cross. And it robs us of celebrating the glory of what Jesus truly did for us on the cross. It also robs us of the greatest motivation there is of wanting to be like Jesus. John records in uh, John chapter 17 uh, a, a wonderful prayer that Jesus prayed before he was crucified. But I just want to read one verse in closing, and that's in John chapter 17. And I want to look at, at verse 4. He said, I brought you glory. This is Jesus praying to his Father. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you from before the world began. It's almost like the words of, of, of a son saying, Dad, I finished the work that you gave me to do. I want to come home. And I think at that point in time, Jesus was ready to go home. Well, my prayer for us is this, that we can put our trust in the finished work of Jesus and truly rest in the confidence of our salvation allowing us to strive that much more every day to be, by, be like Jesus and pursuing God with our whole heart.